Welcome to Style Section, the Wise Guy Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Sheila. And, well, we did it. We made it to the end of the first season. Oh, what an episode. Oh, my God. That last episode, yeah. Yeah, all right. So we're now up to the final episode of the first season, which is called Date with an Angel. Uh, Which, fun fact, isn't said in the episode. No. No. uh, As a general rule, any title of an episode... Except for Smoky Mountain Requiem in this first season. Uh, and, of course, the last two episodes, uh, Marriage of Heaven and Hell, No One Gets Out of Here Alive. Generally, a title of the episodes are used, uh, are used somewhere. as dialogue somewhere in the yeah. episode. So it's actually yeah. rare to see one that isn't. Uh, that's the, the idea of, you know titles being important to the uh, episode is is kind of going to go away going forward it's kind of just a writer's thing uh that's gonna gradually move away but i I thought it was fun that they ended on one that no we just gave it a title day with an angel that uh has a couple of meanings yeah well you know the most obvious one is that it's herb catcher's angel oh absolutely that's Uh, 100 percent uh, so yes, date with an angel. It's and this is what's so fascinating because I've been talking about this for a while, so now we can get into it. Is that it is a direct follow up and a denouement to the whole Mel Prophet storyline. It is about the aftermath and the government investigation and how quickly that becomes problematic. Uh, yes, in, in a very realistic way uh, as well, I would say. If, yes. There's a bunch of Senate, uh, there's a bunch of Senate hearings. There is an obvious stand in for a Ted Kennedy type or a, um, oh God, I'm blanking on his name. This is terrible. Um, oh, Tip O'Neill. Thank you. Yes. As a Ted Kennedy slash Tip O'Neill, you know, old timey New England, uh, senator. There, there's a corrupt Republican senator. It's all very, like, it's all very solid to American politics. And we'll find out more about that corrupt senator later, but, uh, who boy. Yeah. And it was cute that they made it a female. Oh, yeah, I know, right? That, that yeah. was a nice touch. But, you <laughs> know, there are plenty, there, hey, corrupt Republicans come in all forms. <laughs> well, no, I mean, bias there. there. <laughs> well, no. Well, I think what's interesting is they never go out of the way to talk about anyone's political party, right? No. Uh, although it's perfectly obvious who's going to be on the side of overthrowing, you know, like a uh, an island so a bottling company can take over. Yeah. We all know which side of the political spectrum tends free to... Free market! The free market will decide. With the government helping with the <laughs> With the government, of course, setting it up. Yeah. God. No, it's it's the pure free market. You just need the government to come in and give you an exclusive contract contract uh, where you'll have no competition and they'll enforce that contract with military might. But it's the free market. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's the free market. But if your workers uh, ask for more money, call the cops and have them murder the workers. <laughs> but it's the free market. <laughs> oh, my God. So yeah, uh, America has issues, I guess is what we're trying to say. <laughs> it's not exclusive to America. Other places do this. America is just uniquely bad about this stuff. 
Well, it's because it has this, it only, and I'd only say this, it's only because it has these two founding myths in some ways. And, um, it does, they don't talk about that. And we'll save that for a Sunday show one day. (laughs) If we go into COVID lockdown again, Uh, which it's looking more and more likely we will. Thanks for that anti-vaxxers. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I mean, they're talking about that in, uh, they were talking about that today in, in the town hall I was at, that there's the possibility of going back into lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had five cases two days ago in the Sioux. Oof. She lives in Sault Ste. Marie, which is uh, isolated from everywhere, except for the fact that right across the border is Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, which has a bunch of Americans who don't like masks or vaccines. So, uh, yeah, it's. It's and bad. Americans have been allowed, who have to Canadian cross. citizenship or who yeah. have a reason, are allowed Family to come members, across here. Yeah. And as we, we I mean, in, we're saying this again, in the Sioux, it's always the situation of when people come up and they say, don't know uh, where I got it or uh, international travel. Well, sometimes it's flying, but most of the time we just figure somebody went across the river and didn't want to tell anybody. Oh, um, <laughs> but um but we're not here know. to talk about covid no Let's, no uh it's just on our minds because again it's, uh, it's getting bad we're in recording Ontario this, again. it's getting really bad in the province we live in is why it's yeah. on our mind right now every every day another six seven hundred oh it's terrible and i mean again it's not like it is in the states but oh it's it's <laughs> scary so yeah. the episode okay. is all about the governmental hearings about the invasion of Ilpavo and the who was responsible for it, why it happened, how did the U.S. government get involved in this. Just like the kind of wonderful government inquiries that you just love to see. Because, you know, there's the slight chance that a corrupt person is going to get taken down. And I say slight because, you know, it's America. <laughs> Uh, and so it's a very interesting because we find out right at the start that um, this uh, that Roger and Vinny are still at the OCB safe house in Maryland, and they're mm-hmm. just locked up there waiting for the hearing. So presumably they've like you know how fast the government works. So presumably they've been locked up in a safe house for like four weeks at this point. Yeah, you know between a couple of weeks and a couple of months they've been waiting for these hearings. Um, oh, it's very fun. We finally get a definitive statement. At the end of this episode, and I mean, it's not a spoiler, so I'm going to say it, uh, that, yes, the time, the intent is that Vinny was under with the Steel Grave organization for a full year, and then he was under with the Profit organization for a full year. Because yeah. they specifically refer to the fact that he has been working undercover in these criminal organizations for two years. Mm-hmm. You might say, well, doesn't that count the... Uh, uh, that, uh, doesn't that count? Sorry about that. Doesn't that count the time he was in, uh, jail? And it's like, no, that does not count the time. He was no, in jail. no, no. He was not he was... undercover in jail. No. You know, and more to the point, if it did count the time he was in jail, that would mean the entire contents of the first episode, uh, for the first season would have been three months with Sonny Steelgrave <laughs> and three months with the Prophet Organization. Yeah. And just based on the stuff that happens, there's no way that's possible. Yes. No. 
It's no, obviously no, he, intended yeah. to be two full years that these episodes are set over. So there you go. We finally got confirmation of our theory. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, oh. it's it's been um, it 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 was an interesting interesting episode, particularly you know Sunny, of course, you know uh, Sunny Vinny. Vinny is going to. Wants to, wants to Testify. blow the whole thing open. Mm-hmm. They'll listen to him because he's a government agent. And, and you know, Roger and, and Frank are just looking at him like, are you nuts? You, that's <laughs> never going to happen. What? Okay. Okay, Vinny. <laughs> yeah, it's really. Like, they have a mob guy. They have a guy uh, in the FBI who is literally a made man in the New York Mafia. No. And that's the big thing. He wants to testify as an FBI agent and just get out there and say, back up Roger's story. Because the idea is Herb is going to get on the stand and he's going to say Roger's nuts and he doesn't know what Roger's talking about. And, you know, he's going to, and who's going to, like, who is going to back up Roger? Like, uh, his mercenaries have fled. They're not going to talk. We find out in this episode, one of them got killed by the CIA. You know? (laughs) The, yeah, uh, I mean, the, the Pentecostal, the religious one got, yeah. you know, his truck run over by an 18 wheeler. You know, just a coincidence, of course, has nothing to do with the fact that they were searching for him to subpoena him for this. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, right away, you know, the stakes that are being played with. And that's why it gets super interesting later on, uh, when, you know, Roger gets targeted. But what's very interesting to me is, right away, they know that the only way that anybody is going to take this seriously is if a government agent says, I was there, I was standing next to Roger when all this happened, it was all Herb. right? It was all Herb Catcher, he's the one responsible for all of this, and that's the only way they're going to get this taken seriously, but the FBI isn't going to let Vinny do that. (laughs) Well, Under no, any circumstances, because again, he's a made guy in the mafia. This is the highest placed person they've ever had undercover. So they can't, they're not going to blow this for a thing. And of course, Vinny's like, absolutely, I'm going to do it because this is about principle. And after a whole first season of us complaining about him and uh, psychoanalyzing this man and detailing, he just comes out and talks about how naive he was. Or is. Or is. Yes, right. It's not was. Well, no, because he talks about he still is because he thinks he can do this. But he gives that whole speech to Roger about why he joined the FBI. Because in his head, it's just cops and robbers. Like, he's still playing cops and and robbers like he was a kid. And, well, who's the best cop in America? Well, according to TV, it's the FBI. So, you know, I'm going to (laughs) join the FBI. Again, uh, like, think about when he was growing up watching reruns of The Untouchables and FBI on TV. Right? That's, that's when he was growing up. That's the, that's where his mind, you know, that's how he thought the world worked. And yeah, it turns out it didn't. And this whole, as much as we've talked about this whole season being the theme of him being disabused of the notion that the world is a place of justice, in this episode, it's great. Cause after all of that, like, he finally just comes out and says it. But, and that's the thing, and this is what makes him such an interesting character. He still wants it to be real. Like, yeah, he still no, no, he still can be. Yep. 
And if he does, and if he says what he, what he says, and he's an FBI agent and everything is going to change and they'll all understand, right? Yeah. Oh. Well, even then it's not, it's only going to get catcher and they all know that catcher couldn't have done this on his own. Yep. And it like has he, to be. It ha- he has to have people going up, uh, upstairs up. from him. So what's that going to do? Like catcher's already been publicly humiliated you're not going to get the next guy up the totem pole it's just not going to happen and what i find so interesting is i think you could make an argument that the best single scene in this episode is that fantastic scene where lifeguard shows up to talk to Vinny. yeah because you know lifeguard is his most common day-to-day person he talks to he's the guy who's closest to Vinny. And he just comes in and gives him this wonderful speech about how, you know, it's like, yeah, no, stick by your guns. Of course, yeah, go ahead. If you stick by your guns, you know, like, uh, you're going to be, have a bullet, you know, target on your back for the rest of your life because people are going to know you were an FBI agent. So everyone you've ever met in the criminal underworld is going to want you dead. But hey, you live with that anyway. So, you know, who cares? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but, you know, that said, there's a lot of other guys under in other organizations, and the only thing they have on their side is that nobody knows the OCB exists. Like, nobody knows the Deep Undercover program exists. And if you come out there, maybe everybody gets, uh, you know, starts taking a much harder look at everybody's, you know... But you go ahead and indulge your... Indulge your conscience, right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) Like, maybe they shut the whole program down, but it's worth it. Because, you know, you got to do, you got to feel good about yourself. Yeah. Damn, it's such a good scene. It's such a good scene the way he, you know, sets Vinny Lays out. it all out. Just like mm-hmm. how, by the end of that conversation, you there's no way Vinny can do it. There's no way he can go out and out himself. Yeah, well, he still, but he still isn't convinced because he still goes dumping off and takes oh, out yeah. a pillowcase. He's still mad about it, obviously. Yes, and Roger is the one that finally, you Convinces know, him. Yeah. gets it, gets well, it, no. gets through to him. I would argue that the the biggest, like, he gets through to him for a couple of reasons, but you're right. Like, it's, uh, after that scene, you know that Vinny can't do it, but it's Roger that has to tell Vinny. Like, You've got to live works. with this. Yeah. Oh. You've got to learn to live with this. Yeah, it's more great scenes with Roger, because we every scene yeah. with Roger is a great scene with Roger. Yeah. He's a fantastic character. But oh. I would really wonder if he was a stand-in for Canel. It kind of feels like it a little yeah, bit with his really opinions. Yeah, it's really what it feels like. Yeah, uh, that his opinions really feel like a stand-in for somebody, because yeah. Yeah, he's very open or about Lupo. what he believes. Or yeah. Frank Lupo, could be Frank mm-hmm. Lupo. Uh, it's it's very interesting in this episode because we do the uh, we see Henri Lalonde go on uh, the witness stand. <laughs> I know. Oh, I, I love this guy. I mean, he's just so fantastic. He just goes out and says, "Yep, yeah, we were doing a coup because I wanted my I think I'm entitled to my country back." And Herb said the U.S. government was on my side, and that's all I know. And he just throws him right under the bus. Yep. And meanwhile, we get all these scenes with Herb, who is growing increasingly more desperate because he can't get anybody on the phone. No one's on his side. He has become politically radioactive, right? Yep. No one will touch him. No one will get anywhere near him. And most importantly, he can't get his boss, Admiral Stryken. Remember the guy who works for the National, um, sorry, the, uh, the Council of National Security Advisors or whatever they call it, who literally has an office in the White House. 
Yeah. Right. The guy who got Herb in and out of the White House whenever he wanted to be. Uh, right. So he can't get him on the phone. He's growing more and more desperate. And here's the uh, date titular date with an angel. He calls an escort service. Yep. And who should turn up? But Tracy Lords. I know. Now, okay. A little bit of education for people who don't know who Tracy Lords is. <laughs> there it is. Uh, okay, so uh, there's a thing called the pornography industry. <laughs> no, have you have you heard of this pornography thing? <laughs> they film people or take still photography naked or having sex with one another. Uh, all right, I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't need to be that much of an explainer. Anyway, the point is, in the 1970s, uh, I guess early 1980s, 80s. yeah, early 1980s, yeah. she was big. In uh, the she was early a 80s. breakout star in the world of pornography called Tracy Lords, and what very few people, if almost anyone, knew about this woman who was appearing in a lot of hardcore pornography was that when she started, she was 14 years old. And we're not going to get into the whole story of how that happened. There are a couple of podcasts about this. Uh, you can you can read a book about her. We're not going to tell her stole, whole story here. But it's kind of fascinating because she was essentially making child pornography for four years, you know, before she turned 18. And there's this very fascinating thing where it's like anyone would look at that and be horrified and think she was a victim. But the media, like, kind of created a narrative. And this is like, you want to talk about the patriarchy and doing anything to make excuses for men. Like, there there became a narrative that she, like, oh, well, this clever 14-year-old girl tricked the entire pornography industry. Uh, I'm like, really? You're going to blame her for this? Well, of course, but this comes off of Marilyn Chambers and Linda Lovelace. She was, yeah. I mean, and I'm going to be getting into this in my women's class, you know, this, right. this whole business and, and that kind of, um, that kind of media spin around, yeah. um, women who were in pornography. Well, Linda Lovelace has also written Linda Lovelace. Yeah. Um, yeah. written, um, uh, 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 autobiography as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most, to me, the, probably the best one to read is, is Janet Jameson's. It's Talk a fascinating about it. story because if you want to read a bio, an autobiography by someone who has no idea what the story yeah. they're telling is. No, you, you read it and it's you just, fascinating. She's back, like she lives in this, it's like lives in this dual world. Like yeah. she doesn't, want to connect with all of the awful stuff in her life all of the other yeah uh, you know and how how she she ended ended up up doing porn doing porn you know and kind of justifying her life to herself but she's writing the story like she'll say one thing oh no no there there was there was no problems and then she talks about the biker gang (laughs) the biker gang gang raped her by an entire (laughs) biker gang when she was 15 and i'm like Okay, and you don't think and one has anything, anything to do with to the do. other? No, anything. Just, just, no. Okay. No, no. Okay, and then, uh, and she tells other stories from. Oh yeah. And you just go, honey. I know. Honey, you need a therapist who can actually. But she did have therapists. Yeah. Who basically, I mean, she 
I, it was, I mean, astounding. You wonder why. I mean, sometimes criminal minds doesn't have it wrong. There are a lot of bad, <laughs> bad therapists, therapists out of this. Out and, and she would have these ones who were, who were basically supportive of her. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, of her you have to go system. and read it. You it's just a fascinating have to book that I would encourage anyone interested at all about yeah. the field of pornography. And more importantly, just like what denial looks like when like you actually write it down. Yeah, again, and it's it's the most fascinating thing about her book is that she has no idea what book she's writing. Like she thinks she's writing one book and so much weird stuff comes out. Well, and the other thing. Okay, the other thing is and and she wouldn't want her daughters to be in the pornography industry. Well, of course not. And she told Anderson Cooper this. And the other thing is that you can go to a website where it's called 25 reasons not to be a porn star. <laughs> and they're all quotes taken from her her book wow and i have put that into a powerpoint because i have used it periodically when i'm teaching uh modern contemporary women right yeah um because this is one of those big issues right that that ultimately comes up and now with the me too movement it bears going back and just looking at it's only 20 years old so You know, uh, anyway, but that's Tracy Lord. No, that's, uh, 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 the funny no, thing no. about Tracy Lords is the reason that Tracy Lords is thought of as a villain, uh, mostly is that, and this is, by the way, the thing I like most about her. Uh, so she waited until her 18th birthday and then she produced her own movie starring herself. Right? Yeah. And, so she fully owned this porn movie starring herself. And then right after it was done, she retired and she called, you know, the media and the cops to say, by the way, I was underage. All of my other movies are child pornography that are illegal to distribute. And P.S. I own the only Tracy Lords movie anyone can watch. Yeah. And this media is going to ensure that I'm the most famous porn star in the world. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Yes. And 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 the thing is, and I'm just saying, it's interesting that she's uh, referred to as a villain because she did this. But I'm like, all she did was cost a bunch of men money and make a bunch for herself. Yeah. And I'm like, and I say, two thumbs up to Tracy Lords for that one. Like, the thing I like most about her is why she's thought of as a villain in the media. Yeah. No, no. And that is, she has some... And I think she's just come out with a new, um, a new oh, she record. Got a new, thing? Uh, a new yeah, record. Sing, yeah, because she sings, she acts. Uh, with and the, the interesting thing about this episode is it's her first acting job to be viewable. She had made a movie yeah. the previous year before shooting this one, but it didn't come out until mid nineteen eighty eight. Like this is the first acting role that anybody saw Tracy Lords in, and you know what? She's fine. Like she does a perfectly good job. I mean, the the job doesn't require a ton of her. Like, she's just there to be this, again, as the title suggests, angelic figure who comes into Herb's life. Yeah. And is, you know, supportive and understanding because she's a sex worker. Or is she? <gasps> I was trying to be <laughs> scandalous yeah. there. Yeah, scandalous. Yeah. Turns we'll, we'll out, get, no, she's we'll, worse. She's a Russian spy. She's a Russian spy. <laughs> Oh, that's right, everybody. And I mean, that's based on stories, and I don't know if this was ever true, 
of uh, escort agencies in uh, Washington, D.C. being, you know, uh, having essentially Russian spies embedded in them to try and get pillow talk out of the rich and powerful or blackmail information on the rich and powerful. And so that's what that's a reference to. And it's not unbelievable that this could have happened to Herb. Uh, but it's great because the Herb stuff is all just him collapsing. It's all about this guy who thought he was, you know, who had this whole idea. Because he's been ordering people to dead for 25 years at this point. Like, he's been in charge of governments falling, killing people. Like, he imagined he was the master of the universe, and he imagined he was powerful, and nothing can stop him. And now all of his power is being taken away. And so he thinks to himself, okay, I'll call a prostitute, because at least then I can feel powerful. But suddenly, because everything is just extension of his own ego, now because everything's turning on him, he's impotent as well. It's it's a real down like it's a real downslope for Herb Ketchum in this episode, but it's very well done. Like his increasing desperation and how pathetic he becomes as all of this thing uh, all of this stuff surrounds him. It's it's all very well written. It's all very well presented. I I love this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, and you, you, yeah. Oh, please go. No, no. It's just watching the, watching her falling apart, watching yeah, her, her falling, falling apart yeah. slowly and you can buy it. And then of course. Well, we'll get to the end when we get to the end. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the, the proceedings, which are kind of fantastic uh, because see, Herb gets a meeting, right? From, yeah. gets a meeting with somebody who works for Admiral Stryken, uh, you know, the national security advisor who's behind all of this. And this guy, right, the guy who comes to see him is just basically like, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to fill out a bunch of fake forms. It's going to look like you weren't working for us. Here's where you got the money from as part of a completely legal Voice of America type thing in the, the Caribbean. You had no idea Henri Lalonde was going to use the money to fund an invasion. And in fact, uh, we actually get that... Uh, we actually get confirmation that they did give him double the money the way he asked for in the previous episode. Because yeah. <laughs> they said, well, uh, we gave you and your family three and a half million dollars. And he's like, I want to double. And in this episode, they're talking about the seven million dollars. Yeah. So, yeah. He got exactly, got exactly what he wanted. I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, and so it gets really interesting. And he says, basically, all you have to do is keep your head down and take the blame for all of this. And we will have your back later. Yeah. And it's like, there are smooth waters ahead, is what he says to him. And the thing is, this is all, and, you know, you got to remember the scene in the previous episode where Roger joked, uh, joked, said he was just uh, going to get a talk show, right? Yeah. That he'll, he'll get a slap on a wrist in a talk show. And the thing is, as we said before, all of this is based on Oliver North. Right, all of the Herb Catcher character, it's all based on Oliver North. Oliver North wasn't murdering as many people as Herb did, but it's a TV show. They have to heighten things. But the fact is, this is all based on the Oliver North story. And in that case, if you look at it that way, Roger was right. That is what happened to Oliver North. I mean, we didn't know it yet because it had all just happened. And he was like in jail or on parole at the time of this episode. But what happened to Oliver North was he, you know... He claimed responsibility for everything. He, you know, didn't give up the people above him who ordered to do the stuff. He went to jail for a little while. He got out and he became a right-wing media celebrity. 
Yep. Like, that's exactly what happened. And the thing is, that could have happened for Herb, too. Like, I it, joked yeah. about it with you the other day, that the only reason what happens to Herb happens in this episode is because Fox News didn't exist yet. Because, yeah. like, today, you've got literally Fox News, as long as someone is on the side of Republicans, Fox News will get on TV and they will defend them for anything. Like, yep. literally anything. They defended a child molester because he's a Republican. And then, you know, essentially went on TV and said, who can believe, you know, these women who were 13 years old when he molested them? Like, how can we believe these women? This must be a Democratic hit job. And, blah. and the crazy part is, we see that in this episode. One of yep. the senators is just blindly, uh, blindly willing to support Herb and insult whatever the government wants to do. Like, she's just like, no, I'm for fascism in Central America, and I will do whatever I can to support it. And the only difference between then and now is now there is a giant media apparatus supporting these extremist right-wing fascists. And social media. Well, and social media, too. But you can't, you can't overlook the importance of having an entire news network entirely for putting out right-wing propaganda it's quite yeah. fascinating yeah and uh, the crazy part is like america for the record hasn't stopped doing this like america this whole coups in south central and south america they're still doing this if you don't know what i'm talking about there's a man named evo morales now we can talk about in a country called bolivia and you can just look this up he was the unbelievably popular president of Bolivia, because he was the first president of Bolivia to be a native Bolivian, i.e. part of the group of people who were already there when the Spanish arrived. Right? So, and they had always been an oppressed minority in Bolivia, and he was the first one to uh, of that social caste to become president. And he's a very left-wing socialist president. He made huge improvements to their countries. Things got a lot better. This cut into corporate profits. So they were excited because there was a whole, oh, you can only be president for two terms thing. And Evo Morales said, I would like it if I could keep being president. So he suggested an amendment to the Constitution. He introduced and passed an amendment to the Constitution that people can keep being president as long as they are like oh, uh, eligible to yeah eligible to exactly as long as they keep getting voted in they can keep getting voted in and you can say that that's a power grab but he didn't get rid of elections he still needs to get voted in i mean it is as much of a power grab as it is when michael bloomberg passed a law that said he got to be mayor of new york for three terms like when there was supposed to be a two-term limit like that happened in new york city as well and nobody tried to overthrow new york city but the point is, this man had another election, he won the election, and then a giant media apparatus funded by American money and supported by the United States government popped up to su start suggesting that he stole the election. And Trump started suggesting maybe we should invade Bolivia if this guy is going to steal elections, and it became this giant mess. And so Morales stepped aside and said, you know... We'll, we'll figure this out later. I will not be president. I will step aside, you know, to, let's face it, to keep the military from killing him. And, cause, you know, that's what happens in Central America and South America. So then, uh, the people who had led this revolt, 
uh, and calling him calling the uh, the election fraudulent were led by right wing Christian fascist extremists, dominionists who think that everything in a country should be run on God's laws. Oh, also the second coming is upon us and the end of the world is nigh. So that's who took over. And they immediately started brutalizing all of Evo Morales' supporters and even summarily executing some of them. So things got real bad in Bolivia real fast. Now, the country genuinely liked Evo Morales and these new people's hold on the military wasn't as strong as they wanted. So giant public protests managed to get them out of office and things are now settling down there. But the important part is, all of this was possible because the United States government and the United States um, foreign, I wouldn't say foreign service, but it's Department of State under Trump went to the Bolivian right-wing extremists and said, we'll have your back. Whatever you want to do, we'll support you. There wouldn't have been an attempted coup if the United States didn't sign off and financially support it, which is what happened. So what I'm saying is all the stuff in this episode is exactly as relevant today as it was when the show was made. As I said, you watch this show and you see all of the seeds. Like it, it's not, of they're not even seeds now. any. Yeah. yeah. Any, they weren't even seeds at that point. They were all already, the saplings that have grown into yeah. terrifying oaks. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's the exact metaphor. And yeah. Um, it's kind of amazing. Like, I think it really is kind of amazing. Like all of the stuff this show lays out. Yeah, and it's it it. it I was just thinking about the Taliban, you know, yeah. and and what they tried to do in Bolivia is the same thing that the that the Taliban is doing in Afghanistan. Yeah, exactly. Um, bizarre, bizarrely, bizarrely, you know. Of course, Afghanistan is. But because they're Muslims, fundamentalists, and not Christian fundamentalists. fundamentalists. <laughs> well, I mean, but the crazy part is, uh, the, you know what the crazy part is? Like, American Christian fundamentalists, like the Dominionists and the Christian fascists, are now just starting to openly identify with the Taliban. Like, well, I haven't... You haven't I seen have, this? There's all of these guys who you who are special forces guys who keep going on Facebook and saying, "Look at what the Taliban's doing to Afghanistan. That's what we should do here in America." Well, yeah, yeah. We should just roll out, you know, roll up in, you know, jeeps with machine guns and kill all the secularists and seize the country. Yeah. And again, well, like, yes, they are well, using I, the Taliban. I and see by what the way, you're saying. Okay. No, not and then yeah. Donald Trump got on TV and started out talking about what great fighters and what great negotiators the Taliban are. This is like, this is all happening right now. You can it, tell I have not been keeping up no, specifically for your sanity. Yes. For my own been. sanity, because to me, this is none of this is surprising well, it's it, in some ways, but it took a Donald Trump to bring it all to the forefront. To, to bring it all, to give them license to be upfront about all of this. Well, that's what's fascinating, because the newsroom took some flack. Because, you know, the newsroom was a fictionalized version of the media yeah. two years before it was made. There's this whole scene where, like, he talks about, it does a whole news broadcast about how the American right-wing Christians, Christians are the American Taliban, right? Yeah. How the Republicans have become the American Taliban. And here we are, not, you know, eight years later... And you've got Donald Trump 
foreign president of the United States talking about how awesome the Taliban are as they take over a country that America was supposed to be protecting. Yeah, like this is this is the level we've gotten to, like the open embrace of fascism. And and I'm going to quote Roger Lococo here because it's relevant. Uh, <clears throat> he says, Vinny, you ever been to sp uh, ever spend any time in the third world? And then he says, no. And he says, well, just wait, it'll come to you. Yeah, just wait. It'll, <laughs> it'll come, come to, you. to you. And he's right. Yeah. America right now is looking like, you know, a Central American place, a Central American country in the 70s and 80s. Just because of these fascists trying to do coups to take over to help business. It's really amazing what's happening and how prescient this show is. Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, and we started it off talking about, um, you know, and how it changed television. <laughs> yeah, it did. It and changed yet television. It's, it's, but it's more. That more might, that's, and that's the thing. It changed television. That's not even the most important thing it did. It showed us what was going to happen. And, you know, we didn't listen because, okay, like right now, there's well, a I scene did, in this episode. Was... Well, you did. Yes, obviously. But nobody did. was listening. <laughs> Well, what's fascinating, the reason I wanted to bring this up is what I find so fascinating about this episode is, like, there is something that at the time might seem out outlandish. Okay, so Roger is brought in to testify, right? And mm -hmm. the thing is, and by the way, and so this is after the scene where Herb has been told that there are smooth waters ahead if you just keep your head down and take all the blame. And so, and they're like, Lococo's going to crucify him. And, he's, and the guy tells him, don't worry about Lococo. Essentially, the implication being that it's being handled. And yeah. then so Roger goes to uh, goes to testify. And, you know, you've got this right wing Republican woman who keeps talking about how he's a murderer. And why should we listen to him if he was killing people like if he was killing people for Mel Profit? And Roger's like, um, I'm in the CIA. I was told to do whatever was necessary to set my cover so I could manipulate Mel Profit into funding the invasion of Il Pavo. So, yes, I killed people for Mel Profit because I was obeying orders. And he's like, so, you know, so was Rudolf Hess or whoever she says. Yeah. She, like, immediately compares him to a Nazi. But the thing is, the subtext of this whole scene is that Senator Getzloff, that's her name, has spent the whole day doing as much to delay as possible. Yeah. Like, has been trying to delay the hearings as much as possible and slow things down. And then, and like two minutes into the scene of Roger testifying, we find out why. It turns out this whole scene has been set it on a Friday. And yep. she wanted to delay it so he wouldn't get to talk to Monday. And the reason she wanted to delay it is that so the CIA could, could take kill out Roger. Him. Over yeah. the weekend. Yeah. And he'll never get a chance to testify. And you have to wonder, how much did the senator know? Did she know she was setting him up to be murdered? Or did she get a phone call saying, delay as much as possible because we're trying to put evidence together? Yeah. And I think we get an answer to that later, but I'll never be sure if Senator Getzloff, like, like knew consciously that she was setting up Roger to be murdered. Yeah. It's a good question, like, whether we actually get any kind of closure on that. Yeah, well... So anyway, somebody takes a shot at Roger. <laughs> needless to say, yeah, somebody takes a shot at Roger. And, and Roger spots him a second before he fires, and he manages to dive out of the way. 
Yeah. Uh, and then he's like, give me the keys to the car. I want to run away. Like, I'll run away. I will be there on Monday to testify. But I cannot be safe if the CIA knows where I am. Which, you know, actually a pretty reasonable thing for him to think. And I Frank is that. balking at this. No, we'll keep you safe. And he's just going, yeah, remember uh, what's his face? Yeah. Remember my buddy who got run over by a truck? You know, the man that nobody could sneak up on suddenly got run over by a truck. No, I don't think so. I and remember, and, and, and what's his face? The drug dealer with the CIA agent. Oh, yes. Wife. With the CIA agent. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He thought like, he was safe. Yeah. He thought it was safe. His wife thought he was safe. You know, they ended up getting killed by us. Like, I know this mm. is possible. Yeah. And how and, about, uh, and where, yeah. where there were FBI agents. Anyway, yeah, go yeah, on. Yeah, we'll get there. But yeah, and the, so Roger runs off, and then he sends Vinny a note saying, come and meet me, right? Come and meet me. You know, I got something to show you. And so Vinny tracks him down to a parking garage in D.C. after having to throw a tail, and we're pointedly told that he has no idea who he was tailing him. Like, no. he knows he was being tailed, but he didn't recognize the car. So it could have been the FBI, but it also could have been the CIA, and they were looking to kill Roger. Like yeah. he has, Vinny has no idea who was tailing him. And again, it increases like the idea of paranoia in this world. Like yeah. it's re it's refreshing that idea, which I think is very interesting. So uh, Roger reveals that he's got a suitcase, and inside that suitcase is half a million dollars, and three signature cards. The signature cards that Sue signed back in uh, Phantom Pain that have access to over a hundred million dollars of Mel Profit's money, and he's like. If I don't show up at the meeting, it's because I'm dead. You can have this money. Do whatever you want with it. It's a very nice thing for Roger to do. Uh, and then we get the great moment where Vinny's like, no, I've changed my mind. you got to come back. And Roger repeats to him that it is not possible. Like, I do not trust the FBI to keep me alive. And no. it's as simple as that. And Vinny fundamentally trusts Roger at this, like, by this point, he trusts Roger. And so he lets him go his own way. And then we get back, and Roger does, in fact, finally testify. And it's fantastic. Just a, yeah. a really great scene of him saying that, essentially, patriotism could be manipulated by the powerful uh, to evil ends. And it's like, it's it's a force. And he's right. You know, I mean, you can, convince, <laughs> you can convince people to do anything if it's for America. You know? Yeah, if you believe it's for America, you can convince people to do whatever. And uh it's funny because that's actually a plot point. That that whole statement, if yeah. like that if someone is one hundred percent believing in America, they'll be able to do anything evil, is actually at the core of new movie Suicide Squad. The new Suicide Squad movie, and I was not expecting this, is largely entirely about the awful stuff that America has done to Central America. And it's kind of fascinating. Like, I, I don't guess think I'll have to watch movie. it. You have to watch this. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to talk about it on the show because it's entirely about like the treatment of Central America by the United States government and all the evil stuff the CIA did in Central America. But we'll talk about it after you've seen it. I just think it's an interesting comparison that what Roger says on the, um, the witness stand about how powerful people manipulate uh the impressionable into doing awful things to maintain their own power by saying it's for america and freedom and liberty well yeah and roger is an arch 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 archetypal typical yeah case of someone who did that 
Oh yeah, exactly. Like he is and the then, perfect person. And so they, they try to, and it's great because Roger is so calm about everything. It's like they try to impugn him, but he has no shame about the things he did because he believed he was doing them from America. And I mean, he, sorry, he's, he's ashamed of what he did, but he's not, he is not hesitant to talk about it because at the time he realized, he thought it was for justice and American freedom. And now, right. He believes it, like, he realizes he was misled and he wants to make it right. As he said, I have brothers in arms lying in graves all over the world, and they weren't fighting for quarterly profits. You know, yeah. they weren't fighting for capitalism. Yeah. They, they had ideals bigger than this, and it has been pervert, perverted, perverted. Don't know why I had trouble saying that word, uh, by the people in this, uh, right, like them in the government. I, I think it's a fantastic scene. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it is. I mean, if you ever want, it, there are clips that you could take out of this, right? Yeah. If you were doing a political science class and going, Absolutely. okay, here, shove this and okay, tell me what you think about this. Mm-hmm. Mm. Let's, let's just have the discussion about corporations and capitalism and everything else. I'm mm-hmm. not, anyway. It's fantastic. Um, it, it's an, get- yeah. Oh, sorry, please. You no, no. No. Well, what I was going to say that was so interesting is then we get Roger's goodbye scene. And once again, it shows how brilliant this show is in that, again, it does. It's not interesting in interested in surprising you. It's just no. not like the show doesn't want to have twists. They want to give you all the information. And what evidence do I have for that? Well, again, we talk about blood dance over and over again. But in this episode, so he sends Vinny a note saying, come and meet me at the pier. I'm leaving forever. This pier in, you know, the whatever part of the river, the Potomac that leads to Chesapeake Bay. I don't know the geography of DC's waterways. It's like, I want to say goodbye and meet me at the pier because he knows that Vinny's going to be followed. And we see Roger packing up his boat as he's waiting for Vinny. And one of the things he packs in a boat is a scuba tank and diving gear. And we see him do it. It's not a twist. No. Because Vinny shows up, uh, but there are cops behind him. Roger takes the boat. He drives out. And the second he's out of sight, the boat explodes. And everyone assumes Roger's dead. But we already saw him with the scuba tank. Yeah. And if you, if you, if when you're watching it the first time, if you have the time to think about it. Yeah. You'll understand what happened. You, you know that Roger isn't dead. And yeah. I do think that I, when I saw that the first time, I knew that Roger wasn't dead. So I must have actually taken, noticed you know, it. Yeah. noticed it. But, you know. Um, but it can zip right by. That's the thing. Like, people can, can right miss by. it. Yeah. And that's what I love about this show is all of the evidence there is there if you're looking for it. But yeah. if you're watching it casually, there's just a bunch of fun surprises. But there are no surprises on this show if you're paying attention. Yeah, if you're paying attention. And I think the beauty of all of this is that, of course, Vinny doesn't know. No. Because the audience knows something that our hero doesn't know. Yeah. Right? And we know, and we're waiting for our hero to find it out. Which does (laughs) happen at the end of the episode. Yeah. Roger does do a goodbye wave to Vinny. He's not a monster. (laughs) Right. But so we get, uh, we finally get Herb's testimony. And it goes disastrously poorly. Because he won't play the game. Yeah, he... 
Uh, well, he tries, but he's not very good at it. Like, he is not good at scrutiny, right? He is not good at being scrutinized. But he does do the the important parts, which is, say, Admiral Striken was not involved, and he says that all I was doing was giving money to Henri Lalonde, and I had no idea. I mean, he does he does play the party line. He does say what they told him to say. He's just not good, and he's not convincing. And his attempt to discredit Roger... And that's the most embarrassing part is to say that Roger was likely <laughs> turned psychotic by exposure to Agent Orange. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, and if you don't know what Agent Orange is, uh, it's a chemical defoliant that was used because they had the brilliant idea because the Viet Cong, uh, this is not the North Vietnamese army, this is the Irregulars, the Viet Cong could always hide in the jungle. And so America had the brilliant idea of, well, what if we just killed every tree in North Vietnam? Yeah, let's defoliate the country. The entire country. Which, I mean, it sounds abhorrent, but that was their plan. And so they had this chemical defoliant called Agent Orange that they dumped everywhere. And the problem is it caused a lot of cancer. You know those well, issues it... with Roundup causing cancer? Yeah, Agent Orange was that before Roundup was Roundup. Agent well, Orange was Roundup Agent... before Roundup. Oh, Agent Orange was a terrible thing. You need, and you need, if you want, the most famous scene from Apocalypse Now is Robert Duvall <coughs> talking flying, about no yeah. flying his flying his his um his bombers over to drop Agent and Orange, and he and loves stuff, the yeah. smell of what he calls no, that's napalm. The napalm scene. No, no, yeah. that is napalm. That's actually napalm. That's not I know. Agent Orange. That's I know. I yes. know it's not Agent Orange. Okay. But they did the same thing. They did the absolute like same napalm thing, yeah. burned it. Yeah, but, they burned whole forests. Okay, but Agent Orange. The problem with Agent Orange was they weren't even handling it properly oh, and God. carefully, and it was a function of like every time there are so many things that had the potential to cause cancer, right? And yeah. <clears throat> there was something called DDT. Oh God, yeah. Which when is I was a growing insect up, insect killer. An insect killer. Well, it used it was it used the same stuff as Agent Orange, I think, but in smaller quantities. But it was used to keep down all of the grass at the sides of the roads at highways. It was used defoliant. I still I've talked about this before, but I still think I probably miscarried because they sprayed it yeah. on the on our house in Australia because they were yeah. still using. It had already been become a thou shalt not use right. in Canada and I think even in the United States, but they were still using it in Australia. And, um, and it is, was very good and effective at killing, killing things, right? Well, you had to, um, and, they needed a way to deal with mosquito populations mostly. Uh, and you sprayed this stuff and then all the water got infected with DDT and the mosquitoes couldn't breed in the water anymore, in any standing water. And But, of course, this caused the problem of it got into the water table and people drank it and it gave them cancer. Yeah, and it, but it also, and it killed things on the ground. Oh, it absolutely so, did, yeah. So, and you couldn't farm it for I don't know how long. Like, it, it is, it was, it was a disaster, yeah. and, but it was the cancer thing that, Really you know, killed it and got it's it Dow, It was Dow Chemical, I guess. Dow Chemical's done a lot of evil stuff. But that's, that's conversation for another time. Again, uh, dear Dow Chemical, if you want to sue me, I'm specifically talking about Bhopal. 
Yes. Okay. Shall we talk about Bhopal? <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about Bhopal today. But it's no. like, before you think about suing me for saying you've done a bunch of evil stuff, I'm talking about Bhopal. Go and take me to court and try and claim that Bhopal wasn't evil. Okay? So there yeah. you go. <laughs> uh, it, no, it's funny what this show is bringing up, too. Yeah. But I mean, I, oh, God, that they, was just in that, India, that just in, in case. A, oh, yeah. If you don't know, uh, just type in Bhopal, B-H-P-O-A-L. Yeah. Uh, no, B-H-O-P-A-L. In your, in your, in your Google oh, engine. And... In your B-H-O-P-A-L. And you'll find out about what American corporations, chemical corporations do abroad. All right. Uh, so, Herbs doesn't go well, and then he is completely buried when Admiral Stryken shows up and does exactly what he said he was going to do, which is said, I am for freedom in Central America, but anyone who thinks I'm for, you know, these underground coups and violence, well, they have completely misunderstood my beliefs and my writings. And so I think Herb is just a tragic figure who is using my name, you know, for his own political advancement. Of course, that's what Stryken has to do to keep his power. Yeah. But Herb takes it way too personally. And before this, Tracy Lords has told him that she knows someone in publishing, uh, you know, one of her other clients is in publishing and would love to help him. So he's like, okay, call your friend. I'm being buried. I need to do something. And when the friend gets there, oh, yeah, he's not in publishing. He's in the KGB. Which is such a good reveal. (laughs) She's been a spy the whole time. And they're like, look, here's the deal. Uh, We don't think you're a very good defector. But you know what? You're better than nothing. And we'll, if you come over and tell us everything you know about the operation of the U.S. government and, you know, do like a little talk show tour where you talk about how America is corrupt, then you'll have a comfortable life in Russia. (laughs) But you've got to leave today. And Herb, hearing this, walks into the next room and shoots himself. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing left. Everything he thought, you know, everything he thought he was on the side of. Everything he was fighting for. Literally now, the Russians are the only people on his side. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why he kills himself. And that's why I say I said to you earlier that Herb only kills himself because there was no Fox News. You know? Yeah. Had Rush Limbaugh been on the... Because the thing is, I, it sounds like I'm joking, but Sean Hannity, in the 90s, made a huge deal out of constantly vocally supporting Oliver North. And saying on his radio show all the time, Oliver North did nothing wrong and had Oliver North on the show. And it's like, had there been a Fox News to talk about how great Herb Catcher was, it wouldn't matter what happened to him in Congress or in jail because he would have the validation he needs. Because weirdly, it's Herb's lack of validation that leads him to kill himself. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, at the whole time, he had the same myth in his head, right? That Roger that did. Roger did. And that Vinny does, too. That Vinny does. That he's doing all this for America. Yeah. And then America turned its back on him. And the very thing that he had spent his entire adult life, you know, killing people and doing insane stuff to stop, only the Russians are there for him. It's it's such a good scene. Yeah. And, oh. and to make it worse, Tracy Lords can't come. No, he can't <laughs> come. No, no, no. No, no. Lord, not... Tracy Lords isn't part of the deal because she has to stay in the United States. Oh, yes, can't. Oh, I see. I, I, I. Yeah. I know, that's that's hilarious. Um, yeah. But anyway, but yeah, it's 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 so funny. Like, it's it's such a great scene. And it's like, 
because it's all about getting to the character this point of complete collapse and it's such a poetic way to drive him to suicide but yeah in, in the modern day he would have never killed himself because all of this stuff i've talked about with like corrupt republicans and senators doing evil stuff america had its own attempted coup and more than half of the republican senators just signed off on it just encouraged the coup so it's like what senator getzloff does in this episode to you know promote fascism in central america isn't far-fetched at all no like it really isn't as far-fetched as you want it to be no you want this to be an extreme like oh well it couldn't happen here that's the name of a well and and i would think name of a famous novel about american fascism uh it can't happen here yeah but we could i mean we've talked i think we've done some of our quarantine specials sort of talking about different different types of ideas uh about that particularly that you know i mean this is part of the problem is is that and i'm certain when people watched this well they would have maybe made they would have made the oliver north sort of i think so connections but i think this last episode they would have gone oh no that's not how that's not how right? this works. That's not possible. No, no, and 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 American values and their that the whole business is 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 strong enough to. And we've been hearing this throughout the whole Trump thing. There's always well, it's it's actually people that are just saying. Well, no, and I mean it's like uh, that. That's what the scene with the the attorney general last week is about. Uh, two weeks ago is no, last week is about where he says, you know, this is a country built on rock. That's like our institutions will always survive this, right? And it's like, yeah, these CIA guys are abusing their power and doing evil stuff, but we have institutions to stop that kind of thing, and we're and America's going to be fine. And that's a beautiful sentiment from Re- you know fake Reagan's Attorney General, but he was living in a world where a group of you know rioters hadn't attacked the Capitol building and tried to murder the vice president while the president of the United States egged them on. Yeah. Well, I think what they, what they're counting on, if I was to say that anything is that to change the constitution takes an amendment and you would have to get 50%, 50 plus Plus one person. Of the state. No, of the states to agree. It's 67% of the states to agree. It's a super majority to agree, uh, to yeah. get the states to agree. And I think yes. that's what they count on. And then, but then you, but all you have to do is, and there are certainly are writers and academics that are doing this now. Yeah. Uh, is looking at this and they're still called, I mean, it's, it's, um, they're called, you know, it's like you're, oh, what's, what's, now I'm trying to think, what's the word I want here? But they're, um, they're not even, it's not, it's less than doomsday, but it's right. never going to be that bad. And you can, you can, I, I think the hardest thing is listening to, um, moderate, as we would call them, Republicans. Probably Liz Cheney is the only person who actually knows that yeah. this is a real, problem. real problem. Yeah. You know, um, now the way that all the moderate ones just cover for, oh, we have a system and blah, 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 checks. No, no, no. And the Republican Party will come back to being what it was. And I'm going sanity. And I'm not sure Liz Cheney, like she would join with them in trying, but I'm not sure that she's convinced 
that that, that could happen. You can bring back America. No, I mean, once a party has gone full fascist, and I mean, right now all across America, the Republican Party is just openly anti-democracy. Like, they're against elections now. Because they're like, if we can't win, well, we'll just steal it. Change the election. Yeah, we'll just change the rules until we do win. And again, there's no election fraud really in America, except for, you know, some instances of Republicans doing it. Uh, like, there's no major organized election fraud outside of Republicans. Uh, yeah. But that's that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but they create lies. They have an entire TV network that exists to create lies about election fraud so they can justify changing the laws to make elections less and less important and create a permanent Republican majority. And that's the goal, to have a world where only they ever have power, where by definition, power is what Republicans have and power is what Democrats and, let's face it, you know, non-white men don't have. Mm -hmm. that's the end goal of all of this stuff and it's terrifying that we're living through this right now like it really is a horrifying time to be alive as we watch fascism take hold in america in one side of american politics mm -hmm. ah so yeah terrifying time to be alive i guess is the uh end point of what i was trying to say uh but yeah and this show is about and that's the crazy part these episodes are about all of this they really are like about this American authoritarianism, right? And the people who believe that power exists only so they can, you know, they can have whatever they whim. Like, all of their whims can be indulged. Like, they believe that power exists so that they can exploit that power. And that's the only reason anyone exists, to be characters in their stories. It's, it's fascinating, but it's how they act. And that's only going to become more apparent as we go forward on this show because again this show has a lot of many more hugely political things to say than we realized there were so finally Vinny testifies uh before herb killed himself Vinny does testify and say i'm a federal agent i saw it all and they try to again make him out to be a monster and he gives his wonderful speech about uh about how easily it is. I mean, in the same, it mirrors what Roger said about how people are manipulated by the powerful, right? He mirrors what Roger said, and he's like, yes, uh, we forget about what these things are for, and it all just becomes an exercise in ego, right? An exercise in thinking you're the best and thinking you should be in charge. And he's like, I've been as much of a victim of that as anybody else. And I'm like, I don't know if Vinny actually has been as much of <laughs> a victim of vanity and ego is any everyone else but it's a nice thing for him to say i don't know that that's actually true of any but i i i really appreciate the hey, sentiment you know it's what he feels it's what he feels exactly and then so it looks like roger's dead the trial you know the trial has gone horribly awry and now he's just done yeah he's like this is i can't do this anymore and he quits the ocb and then we see him on the street walking in washington and he sees Roger across the street, and Roger's fine, and then Roger, you know, walks away when R Vinny's not looking, and that's that. That's the end of the season. Whew. Yes, but Frank hasn't accepted it, so his resignation, so... He says this isn't going to be... Uh, you're right. He says, I'm turning this into a six-month leave, and Vinny's like, I don't care. I'm done. And that's the end of the first season of Wise Guy. Maybe the single best season of television that I've ever seen. 
It's high up there. Like, that's the thing. Like, it's... It, uh, maybe it's not the best, best, best ever. But it's definitely high up there on lists okay. of the greatest seasons of television I've ever experienced. No, it is a great season of television. It's just, yeah. you have to understand that my gut is always... You have to convince me that things are better than Babylon 5. I know. Babylon 5 season 3 might be the single best. That's exactly. Television. It has I know my, what you're talking about. It has you my know? favorite episode in it. Oh, my um, God. Uh, she's talking about the episode Passing Through Gethsemane, which is Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Brad Dourif giving one of the best performances you will ever see an actor give. And I'm yes. not going to tell you who he's playing. Because I don't think we should uh, spoil this for people who haven't seen Passing Through Gethsemane. But wow. Part of why you love it the most is because you're a doctor of religion. <laughs> and it's one of the smartest things ever written yeah. about faith and penance and sin. Yeah. And, con and how important, you know, guilt and consciousness of guilt. Yeah. Like you can't, without consciousness of guilt, you can't repent. Yeah. And that's a fascinating idea. And it is a brilliant episode of television it's, on that it's, subject. It's, um, that whole, that whole season. I mean, I have that, that signed yeah. by, signed yeah. by Straczynski. <laughs> yeah, signed by J. Michael Straczynski. To a fan expo at one point and had him Well, sign. I actually went to see Brad Dourif and I'm like, oh, you don't have any pictures from Babylon 5? And he's like, nope. And I'm like, all right, well, give me the, Give me the grime of worm tongue and, uh, you know, <laughs> assign it to this well, giant fan of yours I know who thinks passing through Gethsemane is the best performance anyone has ever seen. Well, I will tell you that it was only because I didn't, it, you, you went at the last minute. I went at I, the last minute. I yeah. couldn't get my VHS copy of Wise Blood to Blood you to, me. to get him to sign. That would have been good. That would have been better, but that would have been even better than. Well, I, mean, I, I bought a picture off the man. I'm sure he was fine with it. <laughs> oh no, and I have it on my wall somewhere. Yeah, the, the man is an artist, the likes of which you know, like you almost never see. But yeah, passing oh. through Gethsemane is a masterpiece. So yes, so but other than one. that, yes, yes. Other than my reservation, but like other than About, my Babylon, Babylon 5, Five season three, I know. Okay, this would be your second position. This would be, yeah, I think this would be my second position. Yeah. In terms of, yeah, I, it's always, and other than the dead dog arc, um, you know, this is, yeah. One of the high points of the entire series. Yeah. Dead dog uh, is such a high show. point of the entire, yeah. Dead dog. Yeah. And that's why it's a tragedy because it's the third best arc in the entire show. Yeah. After, I would say, the best arc they ever did is Prophet and Roger Lococo. Yeah. And then the second would be Sunny Steel Grave. And then, you know, the third would be Dead Dog Records. Yeah. And after that, like, they're all good. And we can but, debate which is which. Yeah. We well, can debate. I, I have my favorite. <laughs> except for one. You have your favorite, and I have my favorite. And what my favorite might be your least favorite, which is kind of fascinating. Mm -hmm. Although, then again... My true favorite might be uh, Lynchboro. <laughs> it might be what? Uh, you know the the Twin Peaks arc. Oh yeah, no, I the, that, the Twin that, Peaks arc is just a masterpiece. It's just we'll a there. masterpiece in twin in in sort of and yeah. and to think 
Right? Well, the funniest part is, and the reason we call it the Twin Peaks arc is there's an arc of this set in a small town in the Pacific Northwest where they're investigating like uh, a bunch of murders in like this small cloistered town, super weird small town in the Pacific Northwest. And the crazy part is you'd think, oh, well, they're ripping off Twin Peaks. And the, the crazy thing about it is the first episode of this arc aired the same night that Twin Peaks premiered. Yeah. So it's a complete coincidence. Yeah. But it was, it's, and of course it's a short, much, very short oh, episode. Oh no, it's, it's four episodes. I mean, it has nothing to right. do, like, I mean, we yeah. could do a whole thing on Twin Peaks, you know, but oh, that's no. a cult, Oof. that's a whole different cult thing. <laughs> kind of cult, yeah. I, I, lo- I mean, I love Twin Peaks from beginning oh. to end, but. It was magnificent, but yeah. Anyway, so let's, let's get back this. This was, this, these arcs are great. I think, yes. For substance, there is no, like, here's how I would put it. For setting up a show. Yeah. The Steel Grave arc was perfect. Yeah. It set everything up. You got the stakes. You got the character, Vinny. You got Frank. You got tension with the FBI. You got his mother. The Steel Grave arc. Yeah. Really, for setting up a show is great. But, mm-hmm. right, the profit arc, the Mel profit arc, then tells you, has substance. Yes. It has, it has so much substance crammed into these few ep- episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever I think about, um, Stony Martin, Stony Mountain Requiem, uh, uh, Smoky Mountain Requiem. Smoky. Yeah. That's it. I knew it was wrong. Smoky Mountain Requiem. Yeah. Right. Whenever I think about that, that looms larger mm-hmm. in sort of setting up so much about the entire arc. Yeah. In terms of Roger and Vinny, in terms yeah. of these people and, um, it was just, um. Oh, no, it, no, I mean, you learn like, who they are and why they do the things they do better in that episode than in almost anything else. It, it is just it, a window into both of these guys. And, and, and it tells you, and it gives you a clear idea about how Mel, Susan, and Mel and Susan work. Exactly. Right? So that it, it, it seems like, it almost seems like a one-off episode. But it's not. But it's not. It's just nope. the opposite. It just, it's just a tiny little episode. It gives you a lot of character. And, but it sets up in stone what is going to come afterwards. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah. And, and it's, um, including, including the CIA agent who. Yeah. Strung out on Coke. Yeah. Who gets strung out on Coke. Like it's all there. Yeah. The whole season's worth of stuff is right there in Smoky Mountain Requiem. You know, the corruption, the corruption of government, the casual corruption of every level of corruption, right? The people are exploited. The fact that, you know, um, we later, like the CIA were strung out. And the fact that we later learn that all of this drug smuggling couldn't have been possible without the CIA looking the other way this whole time in their organization because for whatever, because they needed Mel Profits out there. Stuff, uh, again, the relationship between Mel and Susan, 
right? The relationship yeah. uh, right between Mel and Susan. You got Vinny falling for Susan. You've got this uh, fi- like finding out these other layers to Roger. Like you're right, everything you need to know about the season they crammed into Smoky Mountain Requiem. It's, yeah, and it's so it's bizarre. Yeah, it it is because it's right. it's the it's the episode that seems like it has least to do yeah. with the arc. That's but exactly it, isn't. it. It's yeah, yeah. It is. It's almost critical because yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> That's all we can say. Yeah. I mean, and it all pays off. Like all these little things, like when Catcher stops the cocaine trade, it's because they have yeah, yeah. In episode um, in episode means, eight, when Catcher stops the plane, it's be like that all happens with the cocaine because of the events of Smoky Mountain Requiem and the fact that the co- their previous cocaine organization has already been busted. And so it gives you a window into that. Like it's, it's fascinating. And, and the, like, and the control that the CIA had over has. it. Has. Exactly. And the fact, wait a minute, are you saying the CIA could be stopping drug deals all this time? That means they must have been letting it through. Yeah. All of these DC 10s full of cocaine once a month that they've been letting in. The CIA has been letting those in. That's, so, that's the impression yeah. that you are left with. Well, because, like, people have to know. Here's the thing. We know that the CIA knew about it because, like, um, uh, because the guy's wife was a CIA agent and he knew about it. Yeah. He knew about, like, Valdusta Ridge is the organ, is the cocaine organization that he was asking Mel to turn over yeah. in fascination for the flame. Yeah. Like, you're right. It all ties together. Yeah. And it's, it's so weird because to me, and, and I, and I'm surprised to be saying this. Let me yeah. tell you that, you know, I don't think I ever looked at Smoky, Smoky Mountain, Mountain Requiem, Requiem as the most important episode of the season. Yeah. Of, of, of the male prophet arc. Oh, yes. Of the right? male prophet arc. Obviously, the most important episode of the season is nobody gets out of here alive. Yeah. Oh, that was, <laughs> oh, but that's just, but that that's just about you. their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And it has you in tears and it has oh, you so you know. beautiful. It's, it's a, it's a strange sort of, um, episode. Like everything well, is what blown say, up. Oh my God. Is it ever like the height, like everything is so heightened and the emotions are so on the surface. And again, they just have a song saying that they love each other because they can't say it. Like it's yeah. all, it's so much larger than life, that episode, but it's, it's magnificent and it's what you needed for as a send off to this unbelievable larger than life figure of Mel yeah. Prophet. Like you needed this big of an episode. No, no. Mel Prophet. No, Sonny uh, Sonny Sonny Steelgrid. I know, I know. I'm just, you no, know. No, Mel, Mel got his Viking funeral. <laughs> which is great in it, uh, which is great on its own. But I think the thing that impresses me most about Smoky Mountain Requiem, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it is, as you say, it sets up everything. It's, it's about the aftermath of fascination for the flame. Mm-hmm. And then it sets up everything that's going to happen for the rest of the season, both in the plotting and in the relationships. And moreover, the worldview of the show. Like yeah. it's, it's right. It's so vital for setting the meaning of the show. And I agree with you that you wouldn't have thought that that's the most important episode going in. What amazes me, right? Is the only reason for the whole season I put, um, no one gets out of here alive is more important is that's the thing that is the most, the most, singly revelatory about Vinny's character. And if you look at the arc of the season, right, uh, as being Vinny finds out how the world really works, like, if that is Vinny's arc over the season, nobody gets out of here alive 
is the moment and like the middle of the story where the character like disabuses Vinny of all of his illusions. Yeah. Like all of his notions. It's where someone comes to Vinny and says, everything you think is wrong. And it forces Vinny to question himself. And he spends the rest of the season questioning himself and realizing that in many ways, Sonny was right. Yeah. Well, I'm still not convinced. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still not convinced that Sonny, that, that Vinny has gotten there yet. No, 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 no. But, you got to admit, like the stuff he's saying in that last episode about yeah. corruption oh, no. about I, the government, I am, it, it put the seed. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It put the seed in Vinny's mind. Yeah, fi- you know, for the first time. Yeah, it has caused Vinny to have doubts. doubts, and the reason that he wants to walk away from the FBI at yeah. the end, at the very end, and this is how it ties in the two ends tie in yep. is that first he gets these doubts and no one mm-hmm. gets out of here alive and then you get to the end where he's going to resign because he doesn't want to deal with the doubts and he doesn't want to find out that Sonny is right and he doesn't want I mean this is bad enough but he's had his say okay yep. in front of the committee he managed to do that still and he manages to still because he's still arguing with Roger, but yeah. he got, he wants to walk out because he doesn't want to have to deal with the fact that his faith is being destroyed. Yeah. His, I and, think and, that's you know, accurate. Like it's, he, it's, if it is safer to go and stop being an FBI agent. Yes. Than to find any further how the world works. Yes. He doesn't want to find out how the world works. Not really. No. And, and yeah, and that's, I think that that's, which is why I say he's still got a long way to go. And your favorite episode is where he finally, and that yeah. may be one of the reasons why it's your favorite episode where he finally kind of goes, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, my favorite arc. Yeah. Your favorite yeah. arc well, is where Sonny finally, where Vinny. Vinny finally gets it. Yeah. Vinny finally gets it. And then what and it begins beautifully after that? It, God, does it ever. I mean, the thing is... Okay, and the, the beginning of it is about. why I say. Yeah. I know. Uh, well, I'm just going to say, Still like, there. I love that arc. It might be <laughs> my favorite arc, right? After the first season, obviously. After the first season in Dead Dog, it might be my favorite arc. But the issue is, it doesn't have the best ending. But we'll no. talk about that when we get there. When we get, when it we is, get there. It is undercut by its ending. Anyone would acknowledge that. Yeah, well, and and Dead Dog... And as I say, it's just, for me, Dead Dog is because of Tim Curry. Oh, no, Tim, it's the best. I would, I can make the argument that Tim Curry's uh, Winston Nukeway yeah. is the best, like, single performance in the entire series of all the guest stars. Yeah. I, I think you could make that argument. He's so good. Okay, now we're talking about the future. So. <laughs> no, we are. Well, no, but we want people to be excited. All right, so yeah. uh, the, the crazy part is I was about to ask you, so what do you think the worst episode of the first season was? But we all know what the worst episode of the first season was. It's um, uh, one-on-one. I mean, yeah. it's it, it's got a good performance in it, and the themes it bring up uh, brings up are important, but plot-wise, it's just not all there. Like, yeah. they didn't fully think through the plot. In a way that they really needed to. So, uh, good, like, good performances, important message, 
uh, one of the only times in the entire show you, we will discuss how women are treated by this world. Yeah. Like, uh, so that's kind of weird that that's the only time that happens. And it's, but... yeah, but I think, I think from Canel's point, he, I don't think you have to remember that even by the mid to the, those, like, because I'm doing this feminism thing, right? right. When I think about, Canel is, has, has got one thing in mind, basically. And yeah. that's dealing with sort of, um, institutional corruption. Yeah. And I think at this point, the women's movement is still not pushing the institutional corruption part of, of patriarchy. Things, yeah. Of patriarchy. Like how patriarchy, patriarchy is as a social system. Yeah. And well, how patriarchy is layered into all of America's systems of power just as much as white supremacy. Yeah, and I think that you're starting to get this with the Me Too movement. Thanks, um, God. I just and the finished Time's Up movement. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and I've started to. Um, I just I did just finish Catch and Kill, Ronan Farrow's. Isn't book. it fascinating? Yeah, it's an easy read, by the way. Don't be scared by 400 oh, pages. He's a fantastic writer. It just zips along. Yeah, and he's quite 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 willing to admit that he was naive and quite willing to admit that he was scared and quite willing to admit that he was a, a crybaby, you know, and his poor <laughs> no. partner. I mean, it's just like, I, it, that's what struck me, right? Is the openness with which he said when he was going through some of these things, right? And then yeah. he'd be calling his partner constantly and constantly and his partner finally gets out of his meeting and says what the hell are you calling me about all the time and then he starts to whine and cry right he doesn't yeah. give you the details he, yeah and he does understand that he was being a needy almost a needy child because he too like Vinny, yeah has beliefs about how things are supposed to work how things are supposed to work in the news and yes you know the corruption that his family you know, and he brings that up, sort of how they had just kind of co sort of not agreed, but agreed, but not formally agreed not to ever talk about it. Yeah. You know, and and the rift that this put between him and his sister for a while. And even after he had, you know, sort of confronted that was still not, um, you know, it, it's just um, yeah. it, it, it's a really good book. And then. Just layering on layering on layering the slow process mm -hmm. of, of this whole business of Harvey Weinstein and then coming up with all of this, this other stuff afterwards, you know? So it's, it's a, it was a really good, easy read for anyone yeah. who, in fact, I know my, my hairdresser's going to buy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what it comes down to is this is another story about abuses of power. Right, yeah. that's what it is, and that's uh, what and is it's the core of the story of Wise Guy. Yeah. And yeah, it is the institutions that get built up, built up to the point where what we would call abusing power just becomes the way everything operates. Well, it's the institution. It's the institution of the Roman Catholic Church because well, yeah. it is <laughs> okay. a corporation. It is, and as Absolutely. I say. But it's the but, same thing with Sons of Anarchy. You know? Well, you know what the funny part is? I was about to say, eh, we're not going to get into the Catholic Church uh, right now. Like, that's a bit far afield of the episode. And then I remembered uh, what happened, what happens in the very first episode of season two. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, I guess it, I guess it is completely relevant. 
Oh, yeah. We are going to have to talk about the Catholic Church next week. Um, but all right, now we're going to pick. Okay, so let's let's assume one on one is the worst, and let's assume um, marriage that uh, not marriage of health. No, 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 no one gets, no out, one here, gets uh, out of here alive. I think we can agree. Okay. Yeah. The one question is, you see why I love Date with an Angel. You see why I love Dirty Little Wars, right? Mm-hmm. What would you put next tier as the highest episode? And my only two things are Smoky Mountain Requiem and Player to be Named Now. <laughs> and I don't know which one I'd put higher because Player to be Named Now is like such a brilliant piece of writing and character work. And Smoky Mountain Requiem, as we said, is some of the most exquisite plotting and foreshadowing you'll ever see. Like, wh what do you put higher? I would say player to be named now. Okay. If I, if I have to, because while Smoky Mountain Requiem is a brilliant piece, as you say, of foreshadowing, um, it doesn't hit as hard as playing. Well, it, it, no, it, it is just that it is that moment. It's like in writing a book too, right? Where you, where you are sort of, you have to do the final touches on your characters. Right. To make sure that, you know, and it, it, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I could go and say Smoky Mountain, but I think player to be named now simply because of, it is the first time, first of all, you see Susan and Roger, I mean, Susan and Mel at their worst. Yeah. Like Susan is just evil. A monster in that episode. She's a monster and you can never get away from it. And she wasn't in Smoky Mountain Requiem. No, she's not. And you can't get away from that. Finney forgets it. Yep. But the viewers can't. And they watch Vinny becoming trapped. Yeah. And even that, of course, as I've already said, was foreshadowed in yeah. Smoky Mountain, Mountain Requiem. Requiem, right? Yeah. But we see that. Like, all of these, the foreshadowing, well, it might not come true. Now, the fact that it does come true, right, yeah. is, but what, what Player to be Named Now does is it sets up the entire evilness of Mel and Sue. Yeah. Like that they have no compassion. They have nothing but one another. And the rest of the world is just toys for them to for do them to, to, play with. Yeah. to play with and to do with what they want. You see Roger and yeah. you, you see finally that Roger doesn't like this world. He He's doesn't like the as world. Blase yeah. as he appears to be. Mm -hmm. And then you see Vinny making that stance of there is some, no, there are some things I will not do. There are lines I'm not going to cross. Okay. So you've, you've, I think that probably is number four. Yeah. Or three or four. For the four. whole season. It's for four the for the whole season. season. Yeah. Well, and uh, four or five, I mean, uh, but again, so, depends, so how, depends how tied. high you want to put date with an angel. Depends how high you want. I put dirty little wars over date with an angel. And you can you can flip flop date with an angel and player to be nam named now, and I would get that. I wouldn't. I mean, I would say because I, I mean, yeah, yep. I mean, date with an angel wraps sort of things up, 
but beautifully, I, but it know, doesn't have... And, and there's important stuff for Vinny's character in there. Yeah, it and really there is. is, okay. But it's it's not the same... Like, I'm looking at the arc as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, at the season Because as it's a the whole. denouement. You're right. Because it's, it's the denouement, it's not you know, going to the drama and, of the earlier chapters. Yeah, and and, and Vinny's, Vinny's resigned. Yeah. Again. No, you're right. I get it. I get it. You know, I mean, now, we all know that he's going to be back in the business one way or another. There's a season two and a yeah. season three. So we know he's yeah, not. We know he, he will be back. He will be but, back. But I mean, the, how we get there is fascinating in and of itself. Yes. And, and that we'll discuss next week. But I think player to be named now is it does set up for the four main characters in this story arc. arc. Yeah. It sets yeah. them up. So Roger's yeah, you're right. It's such a good, you're right. It's such a good character piece for all of them. Yeah. Roger has lines. We saw well, he, well, he, it, he, he gets the line explaining what the whole Mel thing is about, yeah. about how people are objects to them. Yeah. And like you how, see how long it. before you realized that you were the toy? Yeah. And you, you know? see it, but you get actually, it is well, so well depicted just yeah. who Susan and Mel are. And in the end, I couldn't really feel sorry that either one of them. I mean, what bad stuff happens to them afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. What, what happens to them and their whole, they, they deserve to be pulled down. Well, that's what I was going to say because what Roger does to Susan in Phantom Pain is so horrific. Yeah. That, and, but the thing is the audience forgives him for it completely. Yes. Because. And I think it's, well, no, that's what I was about yeah. to say. I think it's, you're right. And I think it's the events of player to be named now. Yeah. That lets the audience forgive Roger to both establish what monsters the two of them are and to establish that Roger doesn't want to be there taking part in their awfulness. You put those two things together and that is why the audience is able to forgive Roger for what he does to Sue, which would seem unforgivable in almost any other context. Yeah. So just that, like, you're right. I like, in the same way that Smoky Mountain Requiem sets up the whole um, season, like the yeah. whole stories for the season, the character relationship, player to be named now digs into the characters. Yes. Like, just digs all the way into the characters. It gives you the examples you need of why they are so horrible. Yeah, why they are so horrible. And we find out where everybody's line is. Yes. And Sue, uh, and that's what it comes down to. Sue and Mel are monsters because they don't have lines. They don't have lines. They couldn't care about a single thing about anybody that they're manipulating. Yeah, it's... It's not like Susan tries to stop Mel from killing... Yeah, the model. I know. The model. Nope, only Vinny does. Only Vinny can. Yeah. Nobody's going to yeah. stop Mel if that's what Mel wants to do. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But Mel doesn't do his own dirty work. Well, no, that's... So if he can't get someone to throw her off the boat, it's not going to happen. Yeah, and Roger is... Yeah, Roger's gone. away during that. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, because he's dealing with, you know, he's uh, yeah. uh, dealing with, uh, with... Oh, God, how am I blanking on the actor's name? This is so embarrassing. Oh, John Polito. He's dealing with John Polito. Yeah. All right. So it's safe to say that this is 
a magnificent season of television. One yeah. of the best seasons of television out there. If you haven't watched it while listening to us talk about, I'm a little baffled. And I'm going to encourage you to actually go and watch the season of television. Well, try and find it, after all. Yeah. (laughs) Remember, if you're in the States, if you're in the States, you can watch it. But Amazon Prime. You know, not Uh, all of our listeners are in the States. In the States, exactly. But you know what? It is findable, right? It is findable, and it is 100% worth it. Uh, Right now, just FYI, we're going straight into season two next week. Yeah. Uh, normally, we'd like to put in a thematic movie or book between the seasons, but uh, with Wise Guy, like we're actually we haven't talked about what we would watch. Like, what are we going to do? Watch The Wanderers, you know, and talk about the culture yeah. of street gangs in the 1960s? We're going to watch Donnie Brasco, and you know, watch uh, and see um, you know Johnny Depp do a worse performance than Ken Wall did in the same basic idea. And I'm like, no, like we're yeah. We want to get right into it, because the next arc is, oh my god. Oh, it's interesting! Let's just... (laughs) Well, no, the only way to describe it is, let's face it, it's the Donald Trump arc. It wasn't the Donald Trump arc at the time. No! (laughs) But it's the Donald Trump arc now. It foreshadowed a Donald Trump. Oh, it it absolutely did. Yep. Uh, So, next episode, the next two we're going to watch is uh, 201, Going Home. 202 school of hard knocks yeah. uh and it's actually pretty fascinating because fred thompson the actor who you may remember from law and order and a bunch of other like a bunch of other things he was a united states senator like he ran for him became a united states senator and what's fascinating about him is he ran for president and Clips from this wise guy arc actually came up in the news saying, is him playing a white supremacist on TV going to be a problem with his run for president? And what the media at the time didn't understand is that A, uh, he wasn't a very good candidate and he never got far. And B, being a white supremacist on TV does not hurt you in Republican politics. Clearly not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why we call it the Donald Trump arc. But anyway, yep. so join us back here next week for uh, Season 2, Episode 1, Going Home, Season 2, Episode 2, School of Hard Knocks. Yep. There is a key thing you need to know, though. Um, in the same way that Knights in White Satin was so vital that we are very lucky Canal Fan 4587 put it up so you could see that scene, in this episode, the version you're going to watch doesn't have an one song. So there is one song that they paid for for the episode that they didn't pay for on the reruns and the DVDs and the streaming version. So whenever Vinny has headphones on and is listening to music and there is generic rock on the soundtrack, that is the song. And go listen to this on YouTube or wherever, Spotify, or however you take music. Go listen to the Bob Seger song, Making Thunderbirds. Okay? That is the song that played. And that is unbelievably thematically relevant to what's going on in the episode. And I know it's weird, but like they picked the song for a reason. And so I'm actually going to suggest you go and before you watch the episode, listen to the song making Thunderbirds a couple of times. So you know what the song is about. And then when you're seeing it in the episode, whenever Vinny has headphones on the episode, that's the song you need to be thinking about. It's, it is important enough that they should have paid for it the way they paid for, uh, you know, Dr. Doctor, Doctor. 
Yeah. And, but they didn't, if they weren't going to pay for Knights in White Satin, which is far more important than this, they sure as hell weren't going to pay for this one. Right. But this thing is magnificent. I cannot stress you, uh, to you enough how great a kickoff the second season has. Okay. All right. So, uh, <laughs> we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for listening as always. If you have any questions, comments, if there's any profiling related fiction you'd like us to check out, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We're going to see you back here next week for that. If you're listening to uh, this on some sort of an app or podcatcher, be sure to rate and review the show. That's how new people find it. We'll see you back here for more, but until then, I'm going to say that's right. Au revoir. And have a good weekend. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.